Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And now you can enjoy all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts on the Electric Now channel. Download Zumo, Distro TV, Stir, and the Electric Now app, where you can enjoy great television and movies from Electric Entertainment, as well as all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts like The 430 Movie, Inglorious Trexperts, The Best Movies Never Made, The Rebel and the Rogue, a Star Wars podcast, and coming soon, Two on Who, a Doctor Who podcast. You must learn to listen to The Rebel and the Rogue, or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital, wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman, and we are the Inglorious Tracksperts. And today, we're going to remind you, it's been a long road, hasn't it? Oh, it's been a, been long, a road long road getting road. from there to there and there and then here and back, and then again? back to there. <laughs> and I'm really, I'm really excited because, you know, we talk about people who don't respect Star Trek, that don't celebrate the love that, you know, that we have for Star like Trek. Like the Ewoks. Today, we're going to talk... Yeah, or yeah. the Ewoks. Yes. Yeah, with those and guys. we're gonna talk today we're gonna talk to somebody whose love and passion for Star Trek is abundantly clear in every frame they shot. And of course I'm talking about Manny Cotto, who joined Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise in season three, and then took over as showrunner in the fourth season and basically turned it into the prequel we had always been promised. Uh, to the original series and did some wonderful things uh, with the show. And he's just a he's just a great guy and a big fan. He has a new show coming out this fall on Fox called Next, which is also genre because he doesn't run from the genre label. He loves the genre label. He also did great. I would love to. I, I talked about 24 and Dexter. That was an old song, wasn't it? Run from the genre label. No, that wasn't a song. <laughs> no. no, it wasn't. <laughs> It was it, it was not. I mean, and, you know, look, for a long time, it looked like, you know, this could have been the end of Star Trek. You know, it was the, the era of, quote unquote, if you believe it, franchise fatigue was the word they were using at the time. You know, and, and there was a, a, a wariness of admitting that maybe it was the shows and not people's lack of interest in right. Star Trek right. back then. But, uh, you know, there's some wonderful, wonderful episodes uh, of Star Trek Enterprise uh, season four. Um, the, the the Vulcan Reformation arc. There's that that uh, Terra Prime demons uh, two-parter, which is a really stunning indictment of xenophobia. Um, there's uh, some great stuff for um, uh, Jeff Combs, our old friend Jeff Combs, is Shral, uh, Shran, Tran, Shran, uh, Shran, the Shran, Shran, one of those guys, Mr. Um, Mr. Shran. Uh, and of course, there's also the um, 
you know, uh, Brent Spiner came and did an arc, The Augments, which picked up on uh, the idea of um, you, you gen genetically enhanced Superman from Space Seed. So it's really a fun season. And, and even the Organians make an appearance in Observer Effect. So I have so much respect for what Manny did, particularly in that environment where for a long time uh, a love of the original Star Trek was verboten. Right. Was was not something to be embraced. In fact, a lot of writers, uh, people worked on the shows, had to hide the fact they were fans yeah. of the original. Hey, so kid, you like Star Trek? To, no. Get lost. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it's a real testament to Manny that not only was he able to wear his passion and love for Star Trek on his sleeve, but but actually, you know, turn into something, uh, you know, uh, in 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 canon in show that's really you know worth worth watching. I mean, uh, and I think this is going to be a great interview with, with Manny. And, and once again, we have with us um, our I, our Trekspert Emeritus. He, we're not quite, <laughs> we're taking him off double secret probation yet, but I will call him a Trekspert Emeritus. He's the writer of such movies as Thor and X-Men First Class. He's a writer-producer on shows like Lore and Fringe. Uh, that, of course, is Ashley Edward Miller. Ashley, welcome back. Thank you. It's, a, uh, it's a great floating Trekspert. You're right. floating yeah. somewhere outside the orbit of Earth. I've, I've been called worse. Far beyond the stars. <laughs> no, I'm excited about this, yeah. man, because uh, anybody who uh, who casts Jeff Combs is uh, aces in my book. <laughs> I love that yeah. dude. I I, I yeah. once what gave that guy, guys... like, in an episode one line, I made him say it, like, ten times just because I wanted to hear him say it. <laughs> well, you know, I've been very straightforward about the fact that I was not a fan of Enterprise, and only recently have I come to... Uh, give it the benefit of the doubt. I just look, it's still my favorite show, obviously, but there are episodes I really like and I, I, I appreciate it. Where, where are you guys on the Enterprise? Um, Ash, you uh, go Enterprise. first. You know, I kind of feel like, um, especially when it premiered, the, the it was very vanilla, honestly. Um, it I, I don't know that its concept was very clear and the characters, again, were just, they were just vanilla on vanilla. They were kind of tofu man i mean there was nothing about it that made you go that made you sit up um and and really have to watch them it was being sold entirely on concept and then it didn't really deliver on concept um, i do think that the fourth season got a lot better simply because they figured out concept and made the concept work um and i think because of that the characters felt somewhat improved but the truth of the matter is that i mean it's it's still the the lack of specificity i think is still in their dna um you know and, I, and as much as i i really like scott bakula i don't know that he was the best casting i but that's my I, personal opinion i'm i'm very much in line with ashley about that i i was never thrilled about scott bakula as a leading character um cuz he again very vanilla very sort of non memorable i mean that that's why he was playing yeah. all these other characters in uh in uh the show Quantum he was Leap. on, Quantum Leap. Um, that thing. Yeah, but um, honestly, my, my first reaction to it was that it was too advanced. The, the, the format of the show was too advanced and too easy for us to be in space, right? Mm -hmm. it, didn't feel, it didn't feel cramped. It didn't feel difficult. It was just, oh, well, let's go out and see what's out there. And I never believed it once. I, and I certainly didn't believe it as a prequel to this, you know, TOS. It just didn't seem well, know, to fit. You know, Brannon had talked about that they had really wanted to keep the first 
season on Earth, and they wouldn't even get into space until the season one finale. And I would love to have watched that show. Like to me, that's it would have been fascinating. I, I think there would have been a lot of stories to tell, and they would have had a focus on character rather than space anomalies. And that to me would be a lot more interesting. And I think because of course I think one of the best episodes of Next Generation to this day is Family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read a ridiculous interview with Patrick Stewart recently. This is a little bit of an aside. <laughs> and he was talking about, I'm really excited about uh, Picard season two. We're going to get to explore how um, finally, how Picard um, deals with having been, you know, abducted by the Borg and, 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 and how he had to live with this, <laughs> you know, and it, you know, it's something that you couldn't do on the other. <laughs> like thinking yeah. to myself, you mean the best episode of the original series, Family, and then First Contact yeah. didn't deal with this enough? An you? entire freaking movie and a really good episode. You don't even yeah. remember those, do you, Patrick? No. Yeah. Oh, well. But he does get to play a robot, so that's cool. But I, I think Enterprise, maybe you're right, first season was a vanilla milkshake. But I think by the time you get to fourth season, it's I agree. Really I really like I, I really the, the mint. part of, yeah, part of the third season and definitely fourth season. There's some mix-ins I mean, by the time tried. you get to fourth season. You get the mix-ins. You know, it's like vanilla ice cream, and then you go to <laughs> Cold Stones, and then they put in the chocolate chips, and they put in the candy and all the, the gummy bears, and then it's really awesome. Heath, and I kind of feel like... Keith bars. I, uh, Keith bars. Okay, so I kind of feel that's that's Enterprise. It starts off very vanilla, but then by the end, you got your mix-ins. You mix in a little original series. You mix in a little next-gen, and suddenly you got yourself an ice cream. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know it's too bad because I think that pilot's pretty great too. Uh, Broken Bow, I think is a is a pretty good pilot. It's okay. It's uh, okay. I, it's I watchable. It, it sets and, up something uh, that is good that they never really deliver on. Yeah, it's just uh, you know we talked a little bit about this with uh, Mike Sussman who was on the show when we uh, we did an episode uh, uh, last season talking about Enterprise. But it's interesting because I feel like uh, you know Manny has a a, a comp. Um, a, a, a perspective that is um, complementary to what Mike talked about. Well, so, why don't we bring uh, him really on and find out uh, what that uh, what that Let's do angle that. is? So uh, I'm very glad he, he he was the director of the beloved horror movie Doctor Giggles. He went on to run Odyssey Five for Showtime. Later in his career, he was a producer on such shows as Twenty Four and showrunner on Dexter. But before he did that, he was a writer and later a showrunner on Star Trek Enterprise. So let's bring on Manny Cotto. And uh, we're thrilled to have with us uh, Manny Cotto. Manny is, uh, as you heard, doing, uh, currently doing a, a really exciting show, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about uh, next. Uh, but first, I want to talk about uh, what came in the past, not what's next. <laughs> and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things that's going through a little bit of a, it's interesting, a, a critical renaissance or reappraisal, I think, uh, maybe it's just me, but I seem to, you know, there seems to be a lot more excitement about Enterprise recently than I've heard in a long time. I mean, I don't know if, if it's because of streaming and people are going back and looking at it with a new set of eyes or they never watched it in the first place. But um, is that something that you have noticed at all or are you sort of uh, oblivious to all that? Not not, not, uh, not really, but, 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 but I, I wouldn't, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think age... You know, at the passage of time uh, usually uh, mellows. You know, a lot of movies that are, you know, I remember seeing as a as a younger person, which I thought stunk, and everybody thought stunk at the time, are now considered classics. You know, and people love them. 
So, you know, it, it, it's, it's not surprising to me. I, I just think what happens maybe over time is that the people who like it gravitate to it and finally find it and uh, are more vocal about it. So you kind of build up a bigger fan base little by little, I think. I don't know. Um, but that said, I mean, I think a lot of Enterprise was, was really good. And I think, uh, you know, um, a little bit overly maligned. I mean, I think, you know, every incarnation of Star Trek seems to go through the same thing, I must tell you. I mean, you know, you know it seems to me. Because I remember the original, I mean, I was one of the ones when Next Gen was coming out and I was like, what are you, crazy? No, no Kirk? Spock and McCoy, I'm not having any part, anything to do with this. This is not Star Trek. And I remember that, like, was the, the, the clarion bell. I mean, everybody was talking about that. And sure yeah, enough, I'm, you know, and then I refused to watch it. I watched <laughs> one episode and then I refused to watch it. And then my brother called me and said, you really got to see this show. Uh, it was a season three when Pillar had taken over and it had gotten really good. And then I tuned in and, and sure enough, it was great. And then suddenly that's Star Trek for everybody. And I, and I think... That seems to happen with with you know almost every incarnation of Star Trek and Star Wars. I mean, people like what they used to have, and hate a lot of people hate what's new. Uh, and so uh, you know, I think now Star Trek is Enterprise. It's, it's you know it's 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 part of the accepted past, and people are looking more fondly on it and maybe discovering the, the good things about it, which there were a lot of. I want to talk about that whole idea of the nostalgia factor, because it's certainly something that you leaned into in the fourth season in a great way. But let, let's go back, because you talked about being a fan. And before we talk about you coming on the Enterprise, I'd love to know sort of how, if you remember, you know, first discovering Star Trek, what it was about Star Trek that spoke to you, um, you know, and why you were such a fan of original series. Well, it was, uh, you know, when the original series aired, I was actually still too little to appreciate it. I was a lost in more of a lost in space <laughs> fan, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I was fanatic for lost in space. Uh, it wasn't until it, be, it went in syndication. I was part of the generation that that founded in syndication the original like early '70s group that started going to you know fan clubs. Anyway, and I don't remember the first time. I, I know there was a group of, of, of high. I was in high school. Uh, high school kids who were into it and were telling me how cool it was, and. Um, and then I started watching it. It was running. Uh, it was running in syndication in the afternoons in Orlando, uh, so it would be on like five or six or something. So when I get home from school a few hours later, it was on. Mm -hmm. It was the perfect time, and I would watch it. And I just started watching. You know, and they would run one episode a day, uh, and in order. So I would be able to look and, and see what my favorite episodes were coming up, and it became like a thing. Oh, I'm getting into my my favorite run was in season two. When, when it would start with uh, Who Mourns for, for Adonis, and then A Mock Time, and then The Doomsday Machine. Those were my, my three favorite at the time, so I would just wait for those to come around again. Yeah. But I loved it all, and so it, it was a group of us, and we just became fanatical. We were so fanatical that, I mean, this was, we would take, we would record on, on cassette the episodes, the sound, and take them to school to listen to them at lunch. Mm. Yeah. I mean, not hear them, or, or, but just listen. We wanted to hear, hear the shows at lunch. Um, and then we would argue about what could happen and what was not possible, and 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 you know it just became. A, and then and then of course the making of Star Trek book came out, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, a revelation. And you know I, we read it. I read it over and over again, and I realized people do this for a living, and this is what I want to do for a living. Uh, it's amazing how often that book comes up. I say they're kind of two seminal books for those of us working in the business that uh, are Star Trek fans is certainly the making of Star Trek 
And, you know, to a lesser extent, David Gerald's uh, making a trouble with Tribbles, which did yeah, a deep dive that. into a, an episode. And then, of course, uh, you know, the Jaws log, which, Jaws you know, log. just from a feature perspective. But it seems like it was the perfect storm when yeah. those three books and hit. And I, then I would add back. also the making of 2001, that paperback, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, which was another one. I mean, it was the, the Star Trek and 2001 paperbacks were my Bibles. Uh, I could not get enough of them. Uh, and, and the Jaws log was it seemed like the uh, and, and the making of Star Wars sort of cemented that when that aired, you yeah. know, when that aired as a, as, a, as on TV, it was like you read about it and now you you know this this actually showed you and mm -hmm. it's 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 pretty phenomenal. So you were you're a big fan of the original Star Trek. You you mentioned that when Next Generation came on, you you checked out pretty quickly until you heard that you know Michael Pillar had. Well, you, I didn't you know. hear about Michael Pillar. I heard <laughs> I heard my brother just said these episodes. This is really good. These episodes right, are really sure. good. Yeah. So I just started watching it, and then I was like, "They are really good," uh, and uh, and then got into it all over again, um, you know, all the way through, you know, DS Nine and Boy, I I like Voyager DS Nine, and you know, and, and was thrilled to get on Enterprise. So I was, uh, you know, I rediscovered it all over again, and it was it was a lot of fun. And now you you were pursuing your career directing features, and then you were show running Odyssey for um, Showtime. Uh, which, you know, what was that like for you? Because there's a Star Trek-esque quality to it. And uh, obviously that was one of the things that sort of got, you know, you noticed by Brandon initially. But uh, tell us a little bit about that. Because, of course, people don't realize at that time, that was not peak TV. That's not when you had the Netflix of the world and Showtime's spending millions and millions of dollars. This was back where they gave you a buck ninety-five to try and make something in the hopes of attracting a few new subscribers. It was Basically, a very different. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, I don't remember the budget, but it was very low, like a million, you know, a million some. And it was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was, a, it was actually a pilot that I had written. The, the original, the pilot for Odyssey 5 was written for George Clooney's company hmm. or NBC. And Clooney was, um, was uh, the producer and he really really loved the idea and it was his company it was pitched to NBC and I wrote it for them and they love I mean NBC is the first, it's the only pilot I've ever written where everybody was almost applauded usually every time it's just you know you're getting notes and all that everybody was like this is so great but they just just like it's not an NBC show it, it, we can't do it hmm. uh, and then so they, they passed on it and then Clooney at one point took it to Warner's as a feature and it was going to be a movie uh, with Clooney starring as Taggart and uh, but the the, net, the the network would not release the rights. So that went south. Mm -hmm. They just wouldn't let uh, Warner Brothers have the rights to the to the show. It became a big negotiation and nobody could agree, so it never happened, which is kind of a bummer. And then it ended up at Showtime. And I think by that time they had decided, fine, we'll just let it go. Or something had passed. And, you know, and so mm -hmm. Showtime really loved it. And so, you know, they ordered it, and it, it was at a time when Showtime was in transition, because the show actually did fairly well on the ratings for Showtime, but it was at a time when Showtime was in transition, where they were moving away from sci-fi, mm. and they wanted to go to, you know, the Dexter route. It was around the mm. time um, they were just shifting their whole brand. And so I think Odyssey was a was a casualty of that, because, uh, you know, it was it was well-received, and, and, you know, I, the ratings were pretty good. They weren't astounding, but they were pretty good. And we all we were very close to a second season pickup, when it just it just didn't happen and it was really it was a kind of like we, we don't want to do this anymore. We, we want to move away from this we're moving into more edgier you know they were trying to do the hbo model at the time they were, mm -hmm. they were uh 
they were obsessed with trying to find, you know, become their own HBO. And, you know, the Greenblatt came in and basically, you know, really revamped his credit when he came with Dexter and a lot of edgy son that did. And so they're completely different now than what they were. So yeah, people forget that back then that was the age of the, the revival of the Outer Limits and yeah. Poltergeist the Legacy <laughs> and all these shows that ended up getting picked up by Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, so yeah. people forget, you know, they all started Showtime. They did. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, I worked on, you know, Outer Limits the first year mm. uh, when it came up. And because I left, I left after the end of the year to go do a, my film. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was the same. I mean, it, those were fun. They were fun days. I mean, they were, Greg Nicotero was doing the effects on, on Outer Limits at the time. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was, it was not a lot of money, but it was, well, we were shooting, shooting up in Vancouver at the same time X-Files was shooting. And uh, yeah, there was, you know, they were making this, that was for, I don't even remember where that aired. That was Showtime, wasn't it? Yeah, well, Outer Limits was Showtime, and then when they canceled it, Sci-Fi picked it up for the last couple of seasons. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that for Odyssey, but Odyssey Five, I love. It was a passion of mine, and you know, and Peter Weller was was terrific, and uh, you know, I'm very proud of it. I I was always I was very bummed that it didn't go. Did you? I mean, that was your first show as showrunner. Did you feel you know you learned a lot? Because obviously, on a smaller show, you almost learn more than you do on a bigger show because you're responsible for so much more because oh, yeah. it's not the infrastructure no no it was uh it was uh it was uh you know i was thrown into battle and and it, by the way that was that se- those seasons then were 20 episodes right uh, yeah. which now seems like a madness you know i don't even know how <laughs> nobody does that anymore <laughs> and on star trek it was what 26 right i mean even at, at <laughs> i still you know 24 i was on 24 and that was 24 yeah, and that was longer than that. That was nuts. That was nuts. I don't. I still don't know how we did it. Um, yeah, I, and now if you get an order for thirteen instead of ten, people are like thirteen. Oh. That's crazy. How are we going to do that? <laughs> oh so my god, many eight. Oh, how, how are we ever going to? You know, Howard Gordon's like that all the time. I'm like, how are we? You know, I want to get. Let, let's let's do Howard. Every season on twenty four, Howard's like, Come on, why don't we just do twelve? Let's just do twelve. It's too hard. <laughs> And they're like, no. <laughs> the name it's of the show, the show is Twenty Four. Two half-hour episodes. You know, there's there's talk about you know doing another a season of Twenty Four, and and uh, again, it's just like you know they want to do six episodes now, or you know, or, or ten, or whatever. Like, why don't you just do twenty fucking four? I mean, yeah, how much yeah. more? You know, we did it before. Somebody, did, people are doing it. It's possible. Yeah, but, and, and people watched it and people loved it and i mean was that not to get off of star trek but was there a lot of pressure on you when you were developing legacy that was the the, the last iteration of 24 yeah. to do it in less episodes and do it you know well, this whole wanted, conversation. Well, they only wanted 12 they would only order 12. it wasn't pressure they just said well this is what we're ordering this is what it's gonna be right <laughs> same, with, same with live another day you know we, we did that that was 12. Right. It was just the model had changed and nobody wanted to, uh, you know, they just weren't going to do 24 episodes. Well, advertising kind of collapsed and that's what sort of yeah. uh, uh, constituted that. And everything everything just shrank. The world shrank. Yeah, everything, sh- it's weird. I mean, uh, but I think the thinking is that, that audiences no longer want to stick for a, like a, 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 a uh, for something, for a serialized show that goes for 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. Does that even and exist anymore? I mean, is is there any show anywhere right now that's serialized that goes for twenty some episodes? There must not that serialized, no. Not serialized, no. So I, well, I don't certainly think, not yeah. that I mean, drops those, in a block like that for sure. So, yeah. You know, just the procedurals and none of those are. Procedurals, yeah. Those yeah, like those they, I get. 
you know. But yeah. uh, there's nobody doing, I don't think, a long-form serialized anymore. I, I just think people don't have... It's probably the attention span. There's just too much competing. No one's going to follow that for 24. I mean, if I'm, I can must admit, if I'm a viewer, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta figure, I gotta watch this for 24 episodes to get to the end of the right. story. No. Well, I, I, that might have a little bit to do with the uh, the binge watching society, yeah. you know, and uh, wanting to watch it in you know one or two days. Yeah. Uh, you know, you couldn't you couldn't watch a, a 24 episode show. Uh, no. and, and pay attention to it in in two days certainly. By the, by the way, it would have been the, the same first, experience uh, either. Was one of the first binge watched shows. That show took off in DVD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, its first season was not that successful right. ratings wise. It was okay, and it was on it was on the bubble, and the DVDs came out and people binge watched it mm. and fell in love with it, and the audience rose because of the DVDs. It was really the first binge watched show. And this was right in the wake of 9-11, too, when people right. weren't going out and they were buying still the heyday of physical media. Right. And, and you know, as far as enterprise is concerned, you kind of were at this tipping point in television, maybe shortly before, where, like, the golden age of TV was sort of becoming the platinum age of TV. Television was changing with TiVo and with the Internet. And yet, and I, w- I want to talk about how you got involved, but just broadly, you know, enterprise at least in that initial season, hadn't changed very much format-wise, you know, in terms of camera movement, in terms of the way it was shot, the way it was scored, the way stories were told. Do you think maybe that was a mistake in the conception of Enterprise initially? Yeah. That uh, I would argue that I think, you know, you know what Enterprise should have been closer to, and I, by the way, I'm, I'm not faulting, I just think, and I think those ideas were there, but I think everybody just kind of fell back into a pattern. But I think, and I talking to Brandon, you know, I think he wanted to do something. More, they they really wanted to do something more along the lines of like uh, Crimson Tide, you know, a submarine type thing. And you know who ironically did something closer to that was uh, you know Battlestar Galactica, the the, the remake, yeah. where they were in a bridge and they were looking. They weren't. There wasn't a monitor where they were all kind of staring up, you know, in their little seats. They were, you know, they were at consoles and people were kind of crowded together and it looked more, you know, more like a, like a submarine. And I think that was something that I think they really originally wanted to try to do was to get more, more, more primitive, you know, less, you know, really, you know, we're in a, a submarine kind of environment and we're, we don't have great sensors and we're out here on our own. And, and then I think a little bit of the, con- you know, it was kind of a bummer when you're watching it, you're like, well, it's our first foray into, into deep space, but then you meet Travis and he's like talking about he's a boomer and he's been in space for a long time and he's going back. So you're like, well, which is it? Right. You know, are you, what was it? It's an interesting concept. The first time going out, but then mm-hmm. they kind of immediately under undercut it by this, by people have already been out, you know, so many light years and all that. So the mist to, to me, the fun of it and the mystery of it was, okay, it's our first time out. What are we going to encounter? We should be encountering things that nobody has encountered. Where no Not, man has gone before. That's what I, that was, that was the promise that, that where only that, a few have gone. That, that would have been many. a more interesting, I think, way to do it. And then, you know, and the Vulcans and all the, you know, and I mean, you had to deal with the Vulcans, but, but, and I think, um, I still think you could have, you know, to me, I would have had the Vulcans come and gone, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we would have had to go on out and, and figured out what, you know, re, just the realization that these, this was out there spurred mm-hmm. on the change in humanity and we went out there on our own mm-hmm. you know i thought it was a little 
kind of a bummer that the Vulcans were kind of like holding us back. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was just odd. You know, I, I don't know how else mm-hmm. to say it. It was just an odd conception where it makes humans kind of like not the, you know, the architects of their own fate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then you have a situation where you have these people really are at the first time out there on their own. They don't know what they're going to encounter. The Vulcans vanished into the ether after, after you know, and and we, that, now you ha- now you're in a really scary situation. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're going to encounter, and you don't have you know uh, databases, and, and you know you know every, everybody's told you what you're about to expect in, in all this. Um, so, but I think that was all. A lot of that was discussed early on. I really do think there was more, more of that. And I, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I think just those, you know, I think, you know, those things just kind of fell by the wayside, and, and people just kind of fell back into the old pattern. Right. Um, which I, I, I get it. You know, if you want to go with, well, you don't want to stray too much from, from what uh, had gone before. Well, do you but think you that risk over, of adverseness ahead, is uh, a product of the fact that? You know, it's a, a quote-unquote a franchise, and particularly now it was uh, going on um, again on their network on on the Paramount uh, own network at the time, and so there's really a lot of pressure to sort of do what you've done before rather than push the envelope. Uh, you know, which really you didn't really get to push the envelope until the show was already failing when they had no choice, right? right. Yeah, you yeah. know, but <laughs> it was just working with what was there, and I thought, well, you know, I was. Let's have fun with with what we what we got. Um, but it was, uh, but it was, um, but yeah, you know, I, it was it, it was a shame because I think just a few a few tweaks to the concept and it could have been a million percent more interesting uh, mm-hmm. than it ended up being. Um, so I, uh, but that said, I still enjoyed the show and I liked, uh, you know, I, I thought I, I really liked the cast. Scott Bakula was, was wonderful. All, all of them were dynamite people. Which you don't find all the time, believe me. Having, I'm not, I don't want to give any names, but 90% of the time you're working with, with, with real handfuls. Yeah. And those people were just lovely. I mean, just all of them. And uh, I try to get, like, I work with Jai. I got Jai. I, I, the first thing I do when I get anything new is try to find who I can bring on. Like, I, you know, I brought Billingsley back on the pilot for Next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I try, I got Connor on 24. <laughs> I, I, really, I really try to get them all because they're just so wonderful. I tried to get uh, Linda Park for a pilot for next, but she was busy. Mm. So um, anyway, I do my part because I, I, it's just a wonderful cast, I thought, and, and just kind of underutilized. And I thought really good performers that are that are that are they should be doing more than they are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of a Star Trek curse for a lot of people, anyway. Ashley, you had a uh, you had a comment. You. Yeah. Um, you know, when you took over in the fourth season, you took the pattern, you, you, you know, there was a book, you know, the, the way that, you know, the, the, the book about like how Enterprise and how Star Trek is written. And you kind of threw that out. Certainly DS9 had, uh, had made some changes to how that, that uh, stories proceeded um, according to by the book, but uh, Enterprise kind of did its own thing. How much of that was a reaction to um, you know, how the things you're talking about now in terms of just tweaks to the concept and, you know, the things that you were feeling about the show conceptually um, and how much of that was just, yeah, from from Go, that's just the kind of Star Trek stories you wanted to tell. Well, that, oh, it, those were the kind of Star Trek stories I wanted to tell. Like, you know, if, like the Vulcan, I mean, I, I, it, just, it just hit me that, you know, it would be more interesting to do, like, 
what my idea was to like to do feature length movies uh, uh, of these stories, like the Vulcan arc, you know, starting with the Forge and and uh, uh, you know the uh, the arc with Peter Weller. You know, those my, my feeling was why not let's write them as movies that uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so they take place over two or three episodes. Uh, I was really, I really am a big fan of the Voyager two parters, you know, the ones that Brandon did. I think of Minoski and. and uh, some of them are just fantastic. And, and I remember really loving those and thinking, why don't we do that with Enterprise, but man, maybe do three episode arcs and really try to try to plot these out as big epic stories um, that uh, we haven't done on the show before. Nobody, no one has done it, so let's try it. I mean, why not? And, and will give us a chance to really delve into these stories in a more interesting and meaningful way. And by, you know, the Reeve Stevens were, were on and they were, they were so, you know, they're novelists and they have a sweeping kind of uh, you know, thought pattern anyway, they gravitated toward that. So it was just a good mix, you know, so we came up with these stories. So it was really about, A, doing these stories I really wanted to see, but also just doing them, you know, if we're going to go to Vulcan, I, I really felt it wasn't just like a one episode thing. I wanted to do a whole a whole story about this, you know, this event in Vulcan history, mm-hmm. which was much more interesting. So how- so how did you like as the as the showrunner? You know the 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 buck stops with you, right? In terms of deciding what is the show and what is not the show. So when your writers pitched you an idea, like for you, what was the metric for what made a story a Star Trek episode, and then particularly uh, uh, an Enterprise episode or, or set of episodes? Well, for for me, it was um, uh, it, it was you know a story that that. I mean, for this season, I wanted stories that were that were sweeping tales that took place that that illuminated a certain part of the Star Trek universe, but were also centered in uh, that had relevance to our time as well. Like the Vulcan arc was about the, the idea of preemptive, you know, battle. I mean, that you know there was you know that that whole thing, and there was also the idea of uh, sweeping societal changes. You know, in Vulcan, and and and, and the, the combat, and and the and the battle between an old way of life and a new way of life. So things that that you know, so it, it was to me, it had to be something. To do. I wanted to do stories that had to do with original Star Trek um, canon, original Star Trek myth. I mean, which because not the not not you know, some people are just like fan service, but no, I found this stuff interesting. Yeah. I wanted to know how the Vulcans got to where they were. I want to know how the Andorians, you know, society looks like. That was stuff I wanted to explore. So, uh, you know, and with the augments and all that, you know, and I and so so, I wanted stories that 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 were firmly set in, that illuminated a part of the Star Trek universe that had a comment that commented on our on our present day, and uh, and as for being Enterprise episodes, I just it wasn't so much that it was more like Star Trek episodes with Enterprise, mm-hmm. that, which happened to be airing on Enterprise. I mean, I, that, that, you know, uh, that meaning they had to happen in the in the time era of, of enterprise uh but it's that interesting was, you know and by the way I, I would also say just just to clarify it wasn't it wasn't just the buck stopped with me i mean this this had this all came through rick's approval rick was always in charge so it was always uh, you know and i would go to rick and i'd pitch him i want to do this and let's do that and rick was you know very supportive but you know and he was extremely supportive i mean he just said oh, okay you know for most of it I don't, I don't remember rick saying no to anything uh, much it might have been. It seems things we did. <laughs> yeah, you but did. Rick was, yeah, you know, right. It was Rick's show, and Rick was, you know, the, you know, uh, but uh, you know, so, but he he was terrific about it, and, and was a blast to work with. 
I, I, I would say that, you know, if you look back at an enterprise, it almost feels like there are two, three distinct eras to if you break it down. There's the, the right stuff part, which is like the first year and a half where it, it, it wants to be the right stuff. It's not really succeeding at being the right stuff, although the, the pilot's terrific. Then you go into the post 9-11 era, which is the whole Zindi thing, which is when you joined the show. And then there's Star Trek, the original series, fourth season, which is, you know, certainly probably at least in my mind, the best of the show, which is, you know, the last season. But tell us a little bit about sort of coming on board in the midst of this big, um, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, this big chiropractic adjustment in the show, because obviously the ratings weren't what they hoped. Um, everyone, including Rick and Brandon, didn't really feel the show was working. They were struggling. They'd hired a lot of people who didn't know Trek, get a big writing staff. Um, and, 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 they were looking to change, you know, turn the aircraft carrier around a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, enter Manny Cotto. So tell us a little bit about that and coming aboard and the, that initial, uh, you know, sort of joining because, it's, you know, you, you didn't start show running that show, but you came on board and helped them, you know, sort of turn the ship around. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I came, I, I really came in to help. I mean, the, the idea of season three was already firmly established. I mean, I, I, I was, um, it's funny. I read somewhere that you know when, when uh, Bacula puts the guy in the, uh, in the, in the the air the hatch the the, uh, the, the interrogation you know, yeah. to depressurize the airlock the airlock <laughs> well, airlock and he's like you know that's people were like I, I read something like twenty that's like torture right out of twenty four of course it's Manny Cotto well. I didn't. I came on after that episode. <laughs> that, that was our. I, that was like I, I was. I came on uh, when I came on. The dailies were uh, when they had gone to the. I remember. I remember the name when they had gone to the planet and they were all changing into aliens. Mm -hmm. Remember, and they were all talk, you know bouncing, jumping around the planet. You know. Okay. Talking, I don't yeah. remember what episode that was. So that's when I came on, and 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 so, uh, but at that point, Brandon was was really kind of strapped. I mean, I, I remember seeing him in his office. I mean, I had finished Odyssey 5 and I got it and they had somehow had seen Odyssey and they, they called me in to see if I was interested. And I went in to, to meet with him and um, and they and he was, uh, you know, he was at the end of his he, he wasn't happy with the current writing staff and he had gotten rid of a lot of writers. So he was kind of really seriously behind and looked like a wreck. I mean, he was standing at his window smoking, you know, blowing out and into the into the through the window so nobody could, you know, I mean, he was like drinking. It's <laughs> like Brandon. <laughs> so, so you know, and we just talked for a little, and then you know, I, you know, I, I just kind of went into my office. They, you know, I got Gene Roddenberry's old office, which was pretty awesome, the bottom right one in, in the Hart Building, which had a little pedal, which uh, you would hit behind your desk, and the door would shut. You know, the door the door would open and hit, be hit to, and it'd be attached to a magnet. And then there's a, a pedal under the desk, and if you wanted to shut it, you just hit the pedal and wham. So I don't know if that was for locking people in or, or, or for locking people out. <laughs> but it was pretty cool. But anyway, so, and then I just conceived of similitude and, um, uh, you know, pitched it and wrote it, and, and everybody really loved it. And then from that point on, I, I was just kind of like, you know, really writing on everything and uh, helping. You know, I wrote like a, like a maniac. Me and Sussman wrote a lot of that. Yeah. Because a lot of the writers... Who were on, you know, didn't uh, didn't weren't working out, uh, which right. is like every every writing. I mean, it's just a, it's 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 just a truism that I found on Twenty Four on every show that I've been on. Most of the writing staff 
is not going to cut it. Not because they're bad writers, but because usually on these shows, there's a very narrow, you know, target to hit. 24 was like that start. You have to have a very specific voice for all of these shows. And next was the same thing. Um, and there's only a certain amount of people who are going to be able to hit it. And yeah. that's what it was on Enterprise. It was very hard to find Star Trek writers um, who could hit that voice. Um, people didn't know sci-fi uh, or they were just too wild and just too goofy. You know, I remember there was one writer who was highly touted who wrote, uh, you know, he wrote, um, uh, there was an episode, it was, it was the, the Orion episode where T'Pol is being, um, you know, uh, sold in a slave auction or what have you. Right. But he wrote this whole thing, speech for the slaver. It was, it was a parody of like a slave, of like an auctioneer. How, how much do I bid this? How much do I bid? It was all just like very funny and, and crazy. I'm like, but it's not Star Trek. It's, it's not, it, it, you know, the tone was just completely way off. But it was funny, but it was nothing to do with this show. So it's just having that point of view. And so it's very difficult to find staff. So at that point, he had lost, you know, most of his staff was just not working out. And so it was me, Sussman, and, you know, and, and a couple other people who really kind yeah, of. Chris Black was still Chris there. Black and, was still and, great, yeah. but I think Chris was at the point was starting to move off. He wanted to move mm -hmm. on to other things. So I think he was kind of checking out. He was a terrific writer, um, uh, and so and David and David Goodman and was Goodman on his was way fantastic. out. Yeah, Goodman was great. Goodman was a blast. Yeah, so there was a group, a good group of people, uh, you know. But that wasn't a lot for twenty-four episodes. I mean, twenty-six episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah, we that's were, a small staff. But you did bring back a traditional writers' room, which Brandon was not a fan of. Brandon liked to meet sort of one-on-one -on -one or yeah. with writers and have Terry there. And 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 uh, you went back to sort of a traditional writers' room. Well, that was in season four, I did. In season three, mm -hmm. there wasn't. Season four was, um, you know, we come up with our ideas and then go in with Brandon and beat them out with Brandon by himself. Which is amazing. I mean, Brandon, I, I don't know anybody. I, I've never, I've still not encountered this. He could just sit there and just like, he would pitch he would basically um, uh, dictate the outlines to somebody while you're in the room. And I, I've never seen anything like, I don't know how he does it. Uh, I can never do that. And he would, but just like the top of his head and you have a whole outline for an episode. Um, so he liked to work one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so, yes, that's right. And then for, for season four, I, 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 I brought in a different, a, a more of a writer's room. The Reeves Stevens were the big great hire. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. they were just a fountain of ideas and they were fast and wonderful and pleasant. And and then I brought in a bunch of writers who I had worked with before and um, we worked as a room and then, yeah, and we went off and beat them. And then I, you know, and I pitched them to Brandon and, you know, and, and, and take, pitch them to Rick and, and off we went. I love that you brought in Alan Brennert, who, yeah. you know, I remember as a kid, you know, uh, his column in Starlog. And of course he used to write for Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And it's just, uh, and seeing that giant universal font on the, you know, Buck Rogers. And then the fact that he, he was, you know, it felt like he was coming full circle. He was fantastic. <laughs> I miss Alan. He's, I think he's in Hawaii now. I don't know. I, he wrote, he was, he's in writing Hawaiian, historical Hawaiian novels. Oh, really? As you do. <laughs> okay. They're very, and, and they're, they're acclaimed. I mean, they're well liked, uh, you know, the, you know, but it's about a, a, leprous, lepr a leprosy colony in Hawaii, which is kind of a, a rarefied. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's getting optioned. That may be the one piece of IP nobody's optioning then. <laughs> uh, so um, so you do season three, and obviously it's a big departure. And it's, it's, it's toying with serialization. It's not fully serialized, but there's uh, obviously a, a serialized mythology 
and um, uh, and and some standalone episodes and some that are part of the arc. How was it, you know, treading that line, particularly coming from, you know, 24 and sort of this hybrid form of serialization where well, it wasn't I, I fully committing? Done, I had not done 24 yet. 24 was after Star Trek. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. So I, I, I um, uh, so it was, it was, uh, it was new to me. Uh, you know, the, it was, you know, the, I mean, it was actually wasn't that because Odyssey 5 was kind of like that. I mean, one of the things, by the way, I think Odyssey 5, suffered from was that they would not allow me it, the odyssey 5 should have been highly serialized mm -hmm. and it was only semi-serialized because there was a big fight between the the uh, studio and the network at the showtime showtime wanted more serialization and the network i mean and the studio did not so i basically had to kind of write a line and coming up with concept episodes when it really should have been pure serialization i think the show would have been much more so anyway, so the, in this case, the Enterprise the season three was similar in a way. They weren't doing pure serialization. It was, you know, every episode had a kind of beginning, middle and end. Uh, and so I was kind of used to it in that sense. I didn't, I didn't get into like real, ser like a, on 24, where it was, uh, you know, it was completely serialized. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't, then, it wasn't a big stretch. And then there was talk at the end of the season that, uh, you know, it, it was on the it was on the bubble, as they say. It was a bubble show, yeah. and of course, uh, it was a very cagey decision to have the cliffhanger. Uh, <laughs> you know, for a bubble show. So, can you talk about sort of those waning days of season three and wondering if there would be another series? And then, of course, the 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 cliffhanger. Uh, you know, the old chestnut of uh, alternate I, world Nazis. I was not well. <laughs> let me. <laughs> I was really bummed about that cliffhanger. I mean, I, I did not want to go to World War II. You know, I just didn't. And so they just they, they threw that in there. And, you know, I, at the time, I don't I, I think I remember at the time it was on the bubble, but I think everybody kind of felt it was going to get renewed for one more season. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody thought we were going to be canceled. I think the net, you know, the net, the idea was that the network would at least give us one more. Um, so, but we didn't know what form it would take and, and what have you. But um, yeah, then we had, you know, and then, you know, uh, and then Brandon brought me in and said, I'd like you to run, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna go off and do this pilot and uh, I want you to do season. I said, wow, terrific. And then I was like, fuck, I gotta do this World War II thing. <laughs> Which I had done. <laughs> right, you come back. <laughs> well, and I it was worse because- I wanted to do the Star Trek stuff and, and Rick wanted yeah. to do a whole season of, of World War II, by the way. Entire, was that a product? Was that a product of the fact you had your budget cut? I mean, obviously you went to high def at that point. You weren't shooting on film anymore. But I mean, they were cutting the budget to get the renewal. So was that a pragmatic decision from Rick or a creative one? Uh, being well, Nazi I, I, Germany. No, I don't think so. I think he just. I think he was really interested in that in that era and 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 that subject matter. Um, okay. What if the whole show was patterns of force? Basically, patterns of force. <laughs> Uh, you know, but I don't down. want to mock it. By the way, it's possible it was a cool idea. I just was not interested in doing a World War II series. I mean, the first time I get to do run a Star Trek, and I'm not, and I'm going to be stuck in World War II. No, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> that's not I what you've been hoping no, for. I, I, I do I'm not doing. And you, doing un it. unless it was Zeon and Echoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a bizarre episode that is. <laughs> but they did use the Paramount lot a lot. They so, did. you know, it, it would have had its. You know, as a kid, pluses. I thought it was really cool. Wow, the Nazis and all that. Then you grow yeah. up and you're like, wait, what? 
We we did a whole episode on that. Episodes we loved as kids that now we look back on thing what we're thinking, and episodes we hated as kids that we look at now and say, hey, you know, this is there's a lot more going on here, and we weren't mature enough to really appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, but like Spock's brain. Okay, maybe not. I, I, I haven't seen that one in ages. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So you, worse than we remember, or better? It's, it's more entertaining. Yes. It's, it's, it's entertaining. more entertaining it's than entertaining. we remember. Better <laughs> no, but entertaining, yes. Um, so you you go going into the hiatus, knowing that this is your chance to do original Star Trek next season. It's going to live up to the prequel idea. You're really going to do a prequel and see, you know how. Um, you know, Star Trek TOS came to be, you know, and, and it's funny because as much as this had been billed as a prequel, there was a lot of running away from that initially. I mean, not even calling the captain Robert April. Right. right. So, um, what, and, and, uh, every time they thought maybe they'd do something like, Oh, we'll make the Vulcan pow. And then there was all this, you know, what right. people say, you can't make her to pow. Can't make the sexy cat suit woman to pow. That's <laughs> Celia Lovsky from the Yiddish theater. Um, so, Tell us, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the shackles are off in a way. It's like, you know, nobody cares at this point. You know, the network is sort of checked out. And um, hopefully the days of the boy bands performing on the show are, you're not getting those memos. <laughs> what, what's it like for you and how do you prepare? And, and sort of what was your um, mission statement for, for, for season four? Well, it was like kind of what I said. I mean, I, I, I really I, t I just basically sat down and, and and asked myself, what are the most interesting aspects of this universe that I want to explore and expand upon? I thought, you know, one of the things that was controversial about Enterprise was the portrayal of the Vulcans as, um, you know, as as, as assholes, as assholes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And as kind of, you know, liars and all that. And I said, well, why don't we tell a story about why that is, I thought, it, let, let's look at it as an opportunity mm -hmm. rather than as a detriment and, and and tell a story about why that is and maybe tell the story about how they came to be the Vulcans we know we know now. So that, you know, talking with Reeve Stevens led to all, the idea of doing this big Vulcan arc and this movement on Vulcan to return to the old Vulcan ways. So to me, that looked, you know, it was, it was about taking what was there and, and using it as an advantage rather than as a disadvantage. Um, and... You know, all of the, you know, the kind of the, the, the approaches were, were kind of similar. Well, you know, let's take what we have here, but look into to the, you know, like the, the demons and Terra Prime idea. I've always, for some reason, and I don't, uh, I don't know why, I was always fascinated by Colonel Green. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's one of those weird things I just have a fetish for. <laughs> it was mentioned in one episode, and I forget the name of the episode, you know, Colonel Green, who let a... Savage Curtain, yeah. Yeah, Savage Curtain. Who led a genocidal, and, and then the guy was so cool, and he was kind of creepy. Right. And I'm like, well, this is a cool character. What the fuck happened in this genocidal war? And his hair and was so, perfect. I know, perfect hair, <laughs> well coiffed. You know, so I was like, I, I just love Colonel Green, and it's a, and I, you know, I figured, why not use that as a, you know, as a jumping point for Peter Weller's character, and you know, mm -hmm. all that story. So I wanted to take things that, frankly, just interested me about the Star Trek universe, pieces of it that I found really cool that I wanted to expand upon because it's a it's a fantastic, you know, it's really an, an amazing accomplishment when you think about people bitch about the continuity, but it's really amazing how much of it holds together over 700 episodes over oh, so many years, how much of it actually holds together. And I thought 
you know, let's expand on this world to try to, you know, to, to, to really look at the different aspects of it and, and, and tell the stories that, that we've already touched upon, but, but, but that, that are fascinating. And not just in a prequel way, but to tell stories that uh, stand on their own, like the Vulcan arc, I thought was an interesting story that, 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 that had its own, you know, merits, not just as right. a prequel. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, that was my approach just to, you know, to sit down and, 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 and find the, you know, the aspects of this universe that I really was interested in. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and we kind of just had a, you know, sus we were, the good news is that everybody was in the room at that point was all big Star We were all big Star Trek fans, Reeve Stevens and Sussman. And, and I think Goodman had left. Right, he was gone. He's back on Family Guy. He left to go back to Family Guy, but he would have loved that season. He would have had a ball. He would have. He would have. It was a bummer. He took off. He was running Santa yeah. at the time. So, uh, so, um, but that was, uh, and so we just as Star Trek fans, just, just what, what do we want to, what do we want to do? What do we want to see? What interesting things that we want to, you know, that we want to explore? Um, and that was really the approach, you know. Uh, that was the approach, and um, and I thought it was a natural ending for Enterprise to end with, uh, you know, Demons and Terra Prime, where you have a character who is, you know, who's a little prescient, by the way, who, who you know, who comes to, is like, we've got to get these aliens off Earth. You know, we Earth is not, Earth, Earth is not, doesn't look like Earth anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I thought it was a fitting end, you know, for, for this for the series that it's you know mankind is is has to so we still have our demons to overcome and we can overcome them and and you can see kind of the, the glimpse of the future and then it wasn't the finale well, no, it wasn't. I mean, well you know brandon you know brandon and rick wanted to do a finale for the the entire run of their of the um all the you know, shows the, basically. all the shows yeah. so that was there that was what they they wanted to do um so I, I kind of always look at Demon and, and you know Terra Prime as the finale for Enterprise, and they were going to do kind of their right. finale for the whole, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. That was the thinking. Yeah. What's um, so nice about that uh, Demon uh, Demons and Terra Prime two part, besides that great performance from Peter Weller, is the fact you know that it really is star a, a, a kind of great Star Trek story, sort of dealing with xenophobia and right. dealing with like real Star Trekian issues and and getting you know back to it. It, fi it fits in very well with classic Trek. And, and then you got your Colonel Green fetish in there as well, which is fantastic. Uh, I, I love, besides the fact that um, story-wise, this was such a love letter to original Star Trek, I felt from a production point of view, by embracing this three-part, two-part structure, you were really opening up the show. Suddenly, for the most part, the bottle shows were gone, and you had something like you know the Vulcan Reformation three-parter right. is, is it feels like a movie. I mean, it's huge, and and it's re, you know it's really well done, regardless of what you think of the Vulcans. You know, should they have gone that direction? Not well, they did, and it's a wonderful way to address that, and it has some great stuff in it. Well, ironically, by the way, the the three-parters, and this was also part of the calculate. The three-parters allowed us because we got our budget cut. Yeah, you know. So the three parters allowed us to reuse the sets for three episodes. It actually made it more more cost efficient. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask earlier because you can amortize over three episodes what you would have spent on one. That's exactly right. And so it it it, it really that really wasn't a calculation. It actually happened to be just a happy accident hmm. because it you know it was uh, the idea was to do these three parters, but then we're like, wow, we can. Well, it became quickly. How can we build? We want to build a big Vulcan set. How can we afford this? And we're like, well, fuck, we'll amortize. So we were able to do 
So we came, we came in under budget in the season, mm. uh, even from the budget they gave us. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so it was, it, was amazing. it worked out pretty well. Yeah. You spent the rap party. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, and then, of course, uh, one of the things that you used extremely well that had been around since the beginning was Jeffrey Combs, who's yeah. just a, a wonderful. Uh, and, and you gave him some great business in that final season. And I guess you would hope to if there had been another season to make him a regular. Absolutely. I wanted they were going to figure out a way I was going to figure out a way to get him on the, on the Enterprise as a, as a character, as a, you know, as a liaison or something. I didn't know what we were going to do. He's just great. Mm-hmm. He's just so energetic yeah. and just a such a sharp character and Jeffrey, I mean, I was, I'm a, I'm a Lovecraft fan. So I, I was, you know, I was a reanimator. So, uh, and so I, I spent all the time on set just asking about reanimator. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Jeffrey, Jeff's great. And, uh, and just in general, I mean, you go back to next generation where Berman, Rick had his fa- famous, uh, uh, rule: No antenna. You know, he's basically there will never be Andorian on 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 the show because he thought it was hokey. And 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 Enterprise does it so well, and it's probably one of the great makeups. Yeah, it was in, very on the cool. show as well. The puppeteered antennas were very very cool. You know, they would go back <laughs> and they were angry and scared. They had the whole thing worked out. It was very cool. And then the performances were so were so cool. And Combs is just like a great Andorian. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, you and know, you brought back a, a fun character. He the Tellerites as well. I love the Tellerites. I always loved the Tellerites. I, I loved all those races. You remember uh, when we were younger? That book that came, you know there was the Starfleet Technical Manual, mm-hmm. right? And there was the Starfleet Medical Manual, right? That came right. out after that, and it was like it showed the Tellerites internal organs and the uh, and the Andorians, and it had, you know it showed you the Tellerite. It, it showed them they have like legs that angled backwards like pigs. I'm like, I didn't know that. (laughs) I think think that was done by Jeff Mandel. I think Uh he did. Uh, He did that book. Um, (laughs) It's great. It's all that stuff that sort of happened in in between uh, like the series and the movie that that fell uh, along the wayside that sort of filled the gap between our needs for uh, fandom. I don't understand why that stuff had to fall by the wayside. I really, I just don't understand it. There was such great stuff and all that stuff. Why they don't draw on that? It's beyond. Well, I think because, because a lot of it was done outside of the uh, purview of the either Paramount or uh, you know whoever had the uh, publishing, because um, that was right. very underground in those days. And I know, I, I, yeah, I, I know, but I'm just like if I'm Paramount, I'm like get that. Buy yeah, the no rights kidding. That. Cool. No kidding. Let's uh, you know, a lot of people yeah. just. I think a lot of the everyone's you know, just scared. Everyone's just scared of everything. So that's that's yeah. why none of that happens because they don't want to take risks about anything. I think a lot of a lot even though of, risks are a business, right? Yeah. I mean, but I think a lot of the people who ended up running Star, and I don't mean cre- like Rick or Brent or the creatives. I mean the executives. Yeah, and just don't like Star Trek. Right. Yeah, they don't like. But I know for a fact. I don't know when this was, but I, I know a couple of the guys who were writing a Star Trek movie at one point who were told, "Don't put any Star Trek shit in this." Yeah. We don't want to see any Star Trek shit. That was the quote. And they were like, mm-hmm. what are we supposed to do? I mean, you know, people just don't like, there's people who run, who are just too cool for the room who don't like Star Trek. And then and, they wonder and, why the movies don't do well. And then, yeah, they, you, you know, know they like, wonder why they're not making uh, shitloads of money yeah, anymore. That's yeah, why. You don't like your own fucking franchise. Yeah. You don't like, you know, you don't understand it and you don't like it. So, you know, 
What are you going to do? So good. Yeah, you made it? everyone else not like it either. Yeah. Congratulations. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it just they just like considered low class and, and you know, nerdy and, and what have you. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, you know, it, it's just it's baffling to me. I, I don't I don't understand it. You know, I, I, you know, so I'm, I'm the I'm a snob the opposite direction. I don't like anything, anything else. Right. Well, right. I, I, I don't want I'm not interested in cop shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to watch any of that crap. And so, you know, give me give me a science fiction show. Or rather, right now, lady, I'm not even watching TV much. I'm mostly reading. But, uh, right. but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I don't understand. I, it's, they just don't like the franchise. I mean, you can, it's like the head of a car company uh, not really liking things with tires on them. Exactly. You know, but I mean, they inherit the, <laughs> like, these executives. They just like, they yeah. get these things brought to them, and they're like, "What's this? Star Trek? What's this? Show? Okay, yeah. What do we do with this? How can we make this hip?" Right. You know, how yeah. can we change this into something that we think we understand, but we really don't either? So, <laughs> yeah, we don't care. I, I think I think that's why you were so successful with Manny, because you embraced what it was, and and even the people who didn't know Star Trek tried to understand it. Who were successful, like Nick Meyer. You know, yeah. he didn't know Star Trek. He condescended to it at first, but then he said, "Oh." I, this relates to something I do care about, Moby Dick. This does relate to Horatio Hornblower. Yeah, and he found what he loved about Star Trek and made it work. Other people just hate it and said, how do we turn it into Game of Thrones? How do we turn it into something right. prestigious? How do we make it something that will attract Emmys? I mean, I always laugh when I see for your consideration Star Trek. It's just never going to happen because you can never escape that perception of Star Trek. Uh, me, so why try? Do, for Emmys or it's more, more, more just like sensational kind of viewer. I think, yeah, and contractual obligations yeah. and all that. But I mean, I mean, the reality is it's like Star Trek should let Star Trek be Star Trek. And that's one thing that I think you understood fundamentally is you let Star Trek be Star Trek. And that's why that season is 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 so much fun. And, you know, even your emergence into the Star Trek universe with, the, you know, a similar similitude, similitude, <laughs> uh, um, you know, it, I think we, we had such a great impression on not only uh, the audience, but the cast, you know, where they felt, okay, you know, this show is, you know, doing interesting things and you're giving us interesting things to say. And, um, you know, and then ultimately, you know, with season four, you really get to, you know, it, and it's not just, as you said, fan service, you're using this universe, this canon to tell interesting stories in this universe, not just in a rise of Skywalker. Here's, you know, this character you love and here's that character you love. <laughs> not to name any names. <laughs> um but yeah. it was you know and really you know amazingly challenging was it you know and then by the time you get to mirror universe the writings on the wall you know you're going to be canceled so i must i would think it, on one hand it's a triumph for you to think okay i pulled off what i set out to do but oh i'm not going to get to do this again and that must have been somewhat disappointing i would think well i'll be honest with you i really i i i i went into season 4 pretty much knowing it would be the end hmm. I, I think we all everybody knew that this was they were giving us one more season to wrap right. things up you know what i'm saying so it wasn't a surprise right so i wasn't i wasn't completely disheartened i, I honestly I, I i we all it all the writing was on the wall you know the, the the lower budget. You know the uh, you know the uh, the fact that Brandon was moving on to do something else and all that. Sure. It was all it was all very well. Everybody understood. I understood this was it. So we were going to do one more season, and that would and maybe we get a nice four season you know uh, series out of it, and everybody would be happy. So it wasn't it wasn't actually you know 
I was a little, you know, bummed when it finally did happen. Part of you was like, well, maybe, well, you know, but 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 they didn't like the show, Paramount. Right. You know, this is another. They just don't like Star Trek. They never liked it, and so so you know you could tell they wanted it. They wanted it out, uh, and and, um, and so uh, so I, I wasn't surprised or heartbroken because I, I was expecting it. I mean, I, I yeah. it was always the understanding that this was what it's going to be, um, and so. Uh, uh, but yeah, part of me was like, you know, it's too bad. It would have been fun to keep going. You know, it was always in the back of our minds with all the, the cool stuff we could do. You know, more mirror universe stuff. You know, I wanted to do the class. It was so much fun. Yeah, that stuff was great. But the, you know, the actors just like like love that. They just like blossom. And Linda Park as Empress, you know, <laughs> it's the best so she ever was on that show. She yeah, was she's awesome. so much. She fun. had something to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's not about her. It's just like you 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 know they need something to do. And, and she had something to really play. Um, and she just like, you could see, you saw what she was capable of. But everybody there, it was just so much fun. I just saw a clip on it the other day by accident. It was just so cool. Um, you know, I wanted, I mean, season five had gone, I wanted to do like a parallel like season with Mirror Universe episode. Yeah. Telling us uh, like a whole separate story. I remember the fight I had to have with Rick to get the alternate credit sequence. Oh my God. Uh, that was so, I said, Rick, please. <laughs> he finally is like, okay, okay, okay. Because it's it. so good and it's so much fun, <laughs> and it sets up everything perfectly. I was like, this makes and it's from the mirror universe. Yes, yeah. and it's two episodes. You don't have to listen to Russell Watson. So I know that, that as well. Best part, we don't have to have that that opening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to ask you for the diehards, uh, for the diehard. Enterprise fans, you know, one thing that you definitely, you know, obviously decided we're not going to go here. Let's just forget about this is the uh, the temporal Cold War, which was sort of baked into the show's uh, premise from the beginning in, you know, Brandon's desire to give the network a futuristic element. So it wasn't just a prequel, but you, you ran from that, you know, and it's sort of it is something sort of notable that they you know this this big thing is teed up and never resolved. Was that a very conscious thing or, or was there desire at some point that you were going to resolve that or just the hell with this nonsense well, no, i just tried to resolve it as best i could in two episodes i wanted to get you know i wanted to get i didn't understand it right you know i just didn't and it, and it by the way it, just the way it unfolded was so kind of it, you couldn't wrap your head around what the hell was going on right. you know the the ensign i forget his name who would just show up at opportune times and and give out this information and there wasn't much of a cold war you, you right. follow what i'm saying it's a cool idea yeah. but if there had been Faction showing up in our time from the future and past and literally fighting it out, right? You know, and literally interfering. I, it's a cool idea. It's not a bad idea, but it just—I don't think it was ever, ever really exploited in a fun way. So, but I didn't understand what the hell. I didn't understand what it was. So, right. so I, right. I, it I just became—it it just became a temporary Cold War. It kind of temporary. <laughs> <laughs> An intemperate forward. So, 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 you know, I tried to, you know, come up with two episodes that, uh, that uh, you know, would kind of tie it up as best I could and kind of, you know, bring it to a close um, in an alternate, uh, you know, uh, America where the Nazis won. Which I thought some of it was pretty cool. I, don't, I mean, I, the, the, the season, the episode two teaser with Hitler visiting New York. Mm -hmm. I was one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen. It was like taking that stock footage and mm -hmm. pretending as if Hitler had actually gotten to the East Coast was really, I think there was some interesting stuff in there. Um, but, uh, and then I got, you know, I have a fondness for the, you know, this, the, the dive bombers with lasers. Sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's silly. It was, it was all pulp sci-fi, but, you know, what the hell. 
but you can get away with that in, in one episode. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole season of it. Uh, yes. I don't know, but well, <laughs> I see. I don't think Rick, I think Rick Rick didn't want like an alternate universe season. He wanted like our heroes are stuck in World War Two, mm-hmm. which, which I, is in no way an alternate universe. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he wasn't. He didn't want the Nazis have won and all that stuff. To me, that was the only thing that I at least had a sci-fi element that made it somewhat interesting. Right. To me, you know, uh, that that the Temporal Cold War had actually affected you know history. He wanted to do their back in time in World War II, whatever happened. You know, they're just stuck in, in World War II. And I'm like, well, what? So we're basically, it was a World War II season. I mean, what are you really doing? Right. Uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head around it. Well, you and, could have him yeah. find Edith Keeler. <laughs> <laughs> or it's no, the no, final Edith countdown. Di- Edith Keeler died before World War II, right? That's right. Not in the alternate yeah. timeline. <laughs> In the alternate timeline, she let the Nazis win. That's right. It's true. It's Joan Collins. Never trust her. That's right. Joan Collins is sitting around waiting for that call. Oh um, but so now and now, um, obviously, after Enterprise, you went and had a very successful run of 24. Of course, Dexter would be a whole nother conversation. Right. Um, obviously, that that was the new showtime. That was the prestige showtime. Uh, not the showtime of uh, Poltergeist: oh, The Legacy, right. and and, uh, and now you're you're running uh, next uh, uh, for Fox, which uh, obviously I guess you took an unplanned hiatus for uh, coronavirus. <laughs> um, w- w- when are you premiering? And you want to give us the shameless we plug premiere, on? Uh, uh, well, no, we premiere in, we premiere in September. Uh, it was uh, yeah. we finished. We actually got out of Cor- we we got out. We finished shooting like three days before everything shut down, mm. so oh. we lucked out. We nice. we all our, our final episode was done, and in fact, we were the first series. If you look, if you actually Google it, we were the first series to have some uh, a, a, a crew member get sick. Yeah, it was all over the news. I mean, like yeah, you know, I remember. You know, yeah. Fox Next has a you know, and it was our um, line producer who had it, and you know, she was she had been riding around the uh, you know uh, doing uh, scouts, location scouts with the whole crew, and in, in this type four, she thought she had pneumonia, but she didn't. Nobody got it, but her. And she's fine, but it was big news for two days, and right. slattering like you know, I'm the face of coronavirus. It was always his face, and then after you know, two days later, it was like everywhere. So it became the lost news. But so we barely squeaked out. Um, but no, you know, we shot it, uh, you know, over over last, you know, over over uh, fall and, and uh, Christmas. I mean, uh, sort of winter of, of last year, and and uh, it was a show that I, I was on American Horror Story because of my my Fox deal after after Legacy finished. Uh, I was an American Horror Story, and, and, and American Horror Story is, is a lot of fun, but there's a lot of, like, in-between time to kind of develop. Um, uh, because, you know, you're waiting. Ryan is a million shows on the air, and so you're kind of waiting for his, you know, get back to you. So there's so anyway, I, I conceived of this. I've always wanted to do this idea. I've always loved this idea. I, I, I You know, it, it, was, it was an idea that uh, kind of came out of my son one night waking up in the middle of the night, and, and in the morning, he was very tired. I said, what's the matter with you? And he said, well, Alexa started talking to me in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I just started talking. And then I was like, well, is it a set an alarm by accident or what? We never really found out. But I just that just hung, that just stuck with me as a kind of a cool kind of ghost story concept about, you know, you hear the kid talking to somebody behind the, the door and it's nobody there. And if you can do that with an Alexa. And then at the same time, you know, Elon Musk was coming out with this, was kind of talking about, we have to be careful with AI, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of alarms bells going on. I'm like, what's this about? And then I, you know, the, I started reading these books on possibility of this could really actually happening, happen. 
And I just said, well, what if we, you know, told a, a really kind of tight thriller about present day and something like this actually happening, not the Terminator with robots and because and, 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 all that's been done and done very well. What if there's a, a slightly different angle where you try to do it as like a 24 kind of where it happens in a, is this all of the books kind of basically said it, it there was an AI um, outbreak or, or catastrophe would happen very quickly. If super intelligence mm -hmm. arose, it would happen very fast and we would have very little time to, to react and combat it. And that's kind of the framework of this 10 episodes. It, it's like a, a, an AI becomes super intelligent and is trying to hide the fact that it's super intelligent, which again comes from a lot of the research. It's like a lot of people postulate one of the first things it would probably do is, is play dumb because right. it wouldn't want anybody to know that it exists. Which to me mm -hmm. immediately, you know, suggested a series because if you have an AI, if you have an AI becomes super intelligent and decides to wipe us out, the series is over in episode two. I mean, you, you can't stop. But if there's an AI that is still growing and that is trying to survive and it's trying to take out people who know its existence, now you have a thriller. Yeah. And that's the premise of the show. There's a small group of people who find out about this thing. B B Billingsley is the first one to find out, mm. uh, uh, and and it leads off from there. And and uh, and. And there's an Elon, you know, Slattery plays as kind of an Elon Musk type Steve Jobs character who also finds out about it, who realizes he had a part of it, and it becomes a small group. And what it does is it, it, the AI attacks these people. It doesn't want it it, it, it. it comes after them in personal ways to destroy their lives and discredit them. So mm. It doesn't want anyone to know it exists, and uh, it's trying to keep itself hidden. So uh, and so it's about these people trying to alert others that this exists trying to stop it and locate it at the same time as they are being attacked and their lives are falling apart and everything around them is, is, is going crazy so that's kind of the premise of the series and it you know it was a, a little bit of like a 24 what you can do like a 20 it's not it's not real time but it's it's like the whole series takes place in about two weeks um and, and the big question is part. is is your uh is your son gonna take you to wga arbitration over it <laughs> no. yeah he, uh, he's like wait a minute dad what <laughs> <laughs> he wants those residuals <laughs> but uh that uh, sounds like it sounds great and you're going to be one of the few shows uh, with new uh, new uh i know new shows in september premiere and and you know we we're supposed to premiere in the in spring but then the, the virus hit and everything and then fox was like we have nothing for you're going to open the tv guide fall preview issue it's going to have one show <laughs> next by manny kono all right really people this is all you can watch just right. watch it yeah. what's on <laughs> that's right. next that's right well <laughs> it's been it's been great talking to you, oh, and I'm, I'm really glad that we could go back and, and look at enterprise because uh i mean i've talked about this on the show before you know i've been mean, during uh quarantine you know i found myself going back and watching stuff and more often than not i'd find myself drifting to an episodes of enterprise i'd never seen and i'm like hey the show is actually really good but, I mean, I, there, there's episodes on that on the earlier seasons that i just i love dear doctor i mean i, I just mm -hmm. love that episode and i also love the cogenitor i mean i think there's some great yeah. stuff in that show before really do. Yeah. before we let you go what is that large figure behind you is that mr freeze that what's going mr. on freeze. there that is um that is mr freeze that's awesome that's fantastic from uh from a sideshow right yeah. Wow. That's a great uh, sideshow figure. And that's, that's, uh, that's the, my best. Oh, nice. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Nice. There's right. King so, King. yeah. So, uh, there, you're kind of a nerd, one, is one the deal. One is, I'm a complete, and there's a Cthulhu. There you go. With right. Alchemand <laughs> should totally fight Cthulhu. Absolutely. Well, of course, there's got to be endorsed. This here. Yes. That's beautiful. Oh, there you go. Good. 
We approve. And and I and a little uh, a little uh, robot from Lost in Space as well. well Can uh, never forget your roots. And then there's uh, you know Two Face and then all those guys. So anyway, yeah, no, I, I like I like nice. I'm a nerd. Well I, I don't apologize for it. Awesome. <laughs> nor nor should you. So uh, <laughs> it's been great. So much fun. So much fun. Thank you. Same here. Thank and you, uh, we'll look forward to watching next uh, this fall and and uh, and and thanks for joining us today in the midst of this are you craziness. doing any more books by the way before i forget well uh, my new book thanks for the plug thank you i do the uh the uh the new book about the uh, oral history of james bond came out recently uh, nobody holy... does it better oh and baby it, when that came very, out? very proud of that one is that out so it's out. yeah it came out in february not that you would know from the marketing from the publisher but uh, yes, oh, I'm, it's, uh, I'm a huge. Yeah. Oh, it's, I'm really I'm really happy with it. It's our best book since uh, since 50 year mission for sure. And I am the the Galactica one was really good. But I think yeah. that the uh, bond is even better. Well, I'm going to order if I do right say so myself. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Another sale made. Nice. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I would offer to send you one, but I have no idea when I'm going to get uh, uh, out of the house and actually get to the post office again this century so uh <laughs> amazon will be a lot quicker and it's a sale it's another sale that's great there you go okay man. <laughs> thanks well, so thanks much for the kind words okay <laughs> take care that was manny Cotto talking about star trek enterprise not enterprise because by the time he joined right. the show it was now called star they trek enterprise they weren't afraid and, to call it star trek anymore and of course the song had that r rockin new track wow. underneath the russell watson's lyrics that's a whole nother thing i just man. loved oh. i just loved hearing about a, him as a kid basically enjoying star trek the exact same way that we did you know With the it's almost exactly yeah on cassettes and yeah. uh, you know watching it in uh you know stripped uh, one every night five nights a week yeah it, it's just uh because that, that's sort of the enjoyment that we got out of it, and it's the sort of the same story. We hear the same story everywhere that we look when we talk to, uh, you know, people of a similar age. You know what I loved? I loved that he plugged my book. Well, that's what you know, I loved. You mean nobody does it better? The oral history of James Bond. Yeah, that available the complete now. Complete oral history. Complete right, oral history right. of James Bond. That's right. No, but you know, it's funny. I, I actually, and I mentioned. And again, this is not to plug the book, but you know, when I wrote the Enterprise chapter of the book, no, seriously, okay. I, that I hadn't, I was not very familiar with Enterprise. I hadn't written about it. I, I'd moved on. And it was after I'd done, you know, free Enterprise and done movies and stuff. So I, I hadn't, as a journalist, covered it. So it was all new to me, and I hadn't seen a lot of episodes of it. So it was really fascinating when I wrote that book to um, explore the enter the Enterprise story for the first time. And I have to say. That in doing my own sci-fi TV series, I look to Enterprise a lot for guidance in terms of not so much storytelling, but just what they did with the arcs, you know, um, basically how to take a, you know, have the budget go longer. It's something we're doing a lot on our second season where we're sort of doing these multi-part arcs so that we can sort of stretch these sets, so build these more sets and, and, and do more, you know, planets and more space and stuff and not keep it, you know, so much, in our case, earthbound. Um, so, you know, prizes, it was actually very informative. And, uh, as I say, I've gained a new appreciation for me. It's never going to be my, you know, my top couple of Star Treks, but, um, but, but I like it a lot more in retrospect. Well, it's, it's certainly going to make me go back and, and, uh, look at them with a fresh eye now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, but it was it was great. What do you think, Ashley? I mean, you know, you're running your show now that you can't talk about. Um, but no, I thought that uh, was I fascinating. That, uh, I hadn't even thought about um, how uh, how you know doing the three episode pods would really help stretch those production dollars, and like what a what a smart choice that was. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it was a that it was a happy accident, but uh, but it's definitely um, a great model if you're if you're trying to produce at a at a price point in uh, in live action. Um, but no, it was really. Well, you uh, can a, tell. No, go ahead. I was gonna say you can tell because they all like the Vulcan one in particular looks really big. Then they do, and the augments looks pretty big. Unfortunately, you then have in the middle that have the Romulan one, mm-hmm. which is mostly ship shows, uh, mostly on the ship. Uh, you know where. Uh, the Romulans are attacking, uh, making it look like the Tellarites and the Andorians are attacking each other. And um, I remember watching it back when it was first on and thinking, "Yeah, it's not very good. It's not an interesting way to do the Romulans. And uh, I watched it again more recently, and I liked it a lot more, although I still feel it has that same contemporary Trek problem of not knowing how to cast and play the Romulans. Right. It was a very odd, like Brian Thompson, who a lot of you might remember from X-Files and stuff, mm-hmm. this big hulking guy. He, he just, he, he's very, he was I, very wrong for kind of um, uh, a Romulan, you know, because Romulans aren't physically imposing. Right. They're sort of, Klingons are. Yeah. Romulans are more, uh, you know, They're the able in class they're, who they're, knows yeah, everything. They're more schemers. They're more, uh, right. yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, it was the same kind of problem I had with the Romulans and Next Gen. But uh, there was some interesting stuff there. And it's an interesting companion piece to um, our interview with uh, Eric uh, uh, Gendrison, who we talked to about um, uh, the beginning, which yeah. was very influenced by Enterprise. Uh, you know, BC deals with the first Romulan War in his would be Star Trek movie. Well, that so that's another good one. It's another good one in the in the in the bin, so to speak. Yeah, and I I, I also want to say you know we've been leaning a lot on interviews lately via Zoom because we feel that some of the discussion episodes don't benefit from this format, this virtual Zoom format. So we will be doing more shows where we talk about star trek <laughs> but uh for the moment uh the interviews seem mean, to when, be when we talk amongst ourselves right that's right right that's where we talk amongst we ourselves can. exactly but until then i want to thank ashley and darren for joining us for another episode of inglorious Trexperts, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode until then you can watch us on the electric now app which is downloadable for free from your favorite app store where you can watch episodes of inglorious trexperts as well as the best movies never made the 430 movie and tons of film and tv from the electric library including the librarians and the outpost um and of course you can also listen to best of both worlds or best of both worlds <laughs> the best movies never made you could listen every to best other of both monday worlds if you, want. you could you just turn <laughs> off the the monitor and uh, the fourth movie is currently on hiatus, but you know, occasionally we'll surprise you and drop a new episode just because we're mean that way. And uh, that's really about it for us. But uh, we'll be back next Saturday with an all new episode. So until then, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. Engage.
This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.